All right. Hey, uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Man, it's the season. And uh, if you're just joining us, we've been in a series on Loveology. We've been talking about God, love, sex, and marriage. And today, probably the heaviest subject of all. If you're going to be brave, we got to talk about this subject. But this will end our series today. And then next weekend, we're going to shift gears into the Christmas season. But our home churches, what they do during the week is they take the talk that you hear and then they talk about it and discuss it. And man, they're having some great conversations. I know the home church uh, that I go, it's been, it's been awesome just communicating and talking through this at a deeper level. But today's topic is on sexual orientation. Everybody say yay. <laughs> okay. All right. I really think that this topic best happens in conversation. I really, really do. You know, where two people love each other, care about each other. They're able to share their perspective, uh, their beliefs, and kind of talk the whole thing out. But these kinds of talks are hard because I can't cover every question or answer every single rebuttal that may be in someone's mind. So today, it's my goal to do my best to provide a clear basis of how we approach this incredibly important topic and at the same time communicate a much higher value in terms of how we are to treat people, all people. So followers of Jesus are meant to show their love for others through giving relationships, not position statements that divide and offend. There is no issue that provokes more debate or passionate emotion today than this one. And communication really breaks down when people are quick to judge and slow to listen. In James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It's okay for you to disagree with me, whatever I say. And and it's also okay for me to disagree with you. That's okay. And there are two extremes on the issue when it comes to sexual orientation. One extreme is there's no room for you or anyone to have an opposing view to homosexuality than what our culture says. So our culture says you can have no other opinion other than our opinion. The other extreme is to go to church, we have our scriptures, and we say you better get your life in step with them or else, and there's no compassion or sensitivity. In other words, Both extremes are quick to judge and slow to listen. And as a follower of Jesus, I believe that we may disagree, but we must love. In some cases, the church has treated gay people very poorly. Some churches, uh, some words have been used that have been deliberately hateful. Some have done a great disservice to hurting people who are looking for God and compassion We have not loved gay people well. Anyone who claims to follow Jesus has no excuse for not loving people. And regardless of their skin color, and we are the the most multi-ethnic church in this entire valley, regardless of our skin color, our religious persuasions, or sexual orientation, this is not about today about being politically correct. It's about being biblically correct, not just with our words, but in our hearts and with our actions. Jesus holds us to a really high relational standard. He said things like this, love your neighbor as yourself, whoever your neighbor is. Love those who persecute you. Love your enemies. It takes a brave person to love yourself the way that Jesus loves you. 
It takes a brave person to love those who persecute you or say all kinds of things about you. It takes a brave person to love your enemies and even those that disagree with you. So we started a few weeks back with this creation story to lay a foundation for our, for our last uh, message today on how we view relationships that God created human beings as male and female. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Your mom or dad can only scream, it's a boy or it's a girl, right? They don't, they don't suddenly proclaim your sexual attraction as a baby. That would be really weird, you know, to do that. So no one is born like, you know, partly male or partly female. We know that there are aberrations, uh, but that's not the norm. Every human cell in our bodies is stamped XX or XY. We know that. Gender is literally in our DNA. Now, there's a sweeping movement in the culture to erase gender. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. I don't think anyone can intelligently argue that fact. We're born male or female with very distinct body parts. And even for those who feel they were born with the wrong gender after the fact, who are trying to switch gender, there is no natural mixed gender. But it goes even deeper than that. We are made in the image of God, male and female. And so today we're going to begin with what is sometimes an awkward conversation. In fact, I wish this could be a conversation for all of us to enjoy together, like by the fire with mocha or whatever your favorite drink is, um, so that we could talk about this, because I think it's the best place in dialogue. But here's five points that I want you to consider today. Number one, there is no us and them. The truth about us and them is there is no them. We're all valued. We're all loved by God. We are all sexually broken people to one degree or another, regardless of your sexual orientation. And we are all in need of a healing community, an authentic community to live in, to live as Jesus calls us to live. We all need a place where we do not have to believe like everyone does in order to belong. We need that. Being a heterosexual means I live every day with inappropriate sexual desires. Rick Warren said while he was being interviewed on Dateline by Ann Curry, he says, just because something seems natural doesn't mean it's best for you or society. And then he said, I'm naturally inclined to have sex with every beautiful woman I see. That doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Being a heterosexual does not naturally make someone magnanimous. There is nothing more holy or noble about my temptation versus someone else's temptation. When it comes to it naturally, we're all given towards different kinds of sins, and we're all on equal footing. In fact, in Romans 3, it says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of, the, of God's glorious standard, yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. There's a distinction between same-sex desire and same-sex behavior. I have gay friends that are following Jesus wholeheartedly. They are attracted to the same sex, but they do not engage in sexual behavior with the same sex. It's the sexual activity that the Bible treats as sin. Jesus taught us to embrace all sinners, all people. We're all in this together. You see, the heterosexual struggles with tempting ways to express ourselves in inappropriate ways. 
and the homosexual struggles with the temptation to express themselves in inappropriate ways. There's no us and them. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin. It's God's job to judge what is sin. It's our job to love everyone. So I'm free to love all of my gay friends and my straight friends. The the very first gay friend that I had was 40 years ago. I've had years of friendship with friends that are gay. Number two is this, acceptance does not require approval. There's a large number of people in culture who are intolerant. They demand your approval and your acceptance. You're not allowed to disagree with their beliefs. Jesus taught us to show grace and acceptance to other people. The problem is most people do not know the difference between acceptance and approval. Jesus accepts you completely. That does not mean he approves of every single thing you do as a human being. So how do we do this? Well, one of the ways that we show acceptance to other people is by listening to them. To be a genuine friend regardless of sexual orientation. I've had gay friends over the course of my life, and I still do, and I'm most comfortable being with them and being their friend and talking. I'm the least comfortable with giving a public talk about it. Why? Well, because it quickly tends to escalate in people's minds to an us versus them conversation. And I, for one, am not into that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not part of that. This is not a political issue for me. These are my friends. These are people that we love. These are our family members. These are relatives. These are people that we care deeply about. So how do we love people with opposing views? And are we mature enough to love people with opposing views? One of the ways is we show acceptance is by listening to others, by having conversation with others. Love pays attention. Love listens to the fears and the doubts of others and treats them with respect. Love makes room for a young person who is struggling with their sexual orientation and following Jesus and lets them talk with you without fear of rejection or judgment. An accepting community is safe and loving and hopeful. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be brave. We want all people, all spiritual seekers to find us approachable and easy to talk with. We don't try to fix people or tell others to change their sexual orientation. Instead, we invite all people to change their spiritual orientation towards God. Our goal is to be like Jesus, to just establish together a love, safe, hopeful community for all orientations. I don't know if you noticed, but when you came in here today, we did not have an orientation seating chart. You know, drunks sit over here, adulterers, you sit over here, homosexuals, no, you sit over here. Hey, greedy, you greedy people, you know who you are. You sit over here. Gossips, oh, brother, you're already talking about this talk. All right, gossips, liars, you sit over here. We don't have a seating chart for the orientation of all of the things that we do and say in our lives. Number three, emotion and experience must not determine theology. There's a, a, a load of emotion surrounding this topic, and for good reason, uh, be, again, because these are our kids. These are our friends. These are our classmates, our family. However, culture does not decide truth. Culture is not the final authority. 
We cannot throw out sound theology and then call it love. It's brave to follow Jesus and what he taught and said. Jesus said that a marriage is between a man and a woman. We follow Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, the message translation, it reads this way. Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me, first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual desires are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. There is not one verse in the Old Testament or the New Testament that advocates, condones, or encourages same-sex behavior. Homosexual activity in Scripture is always understood to be outside of God's will and God's design. You see, God's vision was between a man and a woman, and it is a beautiful relationship. Thousands of years of sin has mucked up God's vision and made it blurry in human eyes. And so we started to think, hey, we, 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 we have a better idea. We can act on our own will. We can paint our own alternative vision, and it be even better. And all that God has created around us, you know, his creation, what it's meant to do is to roll up into an act of worship. God, thank you for this food. I'm so grateful for this food. I want to worship you. God, thank you for sex and the enjoyment of that in marriage. I worship you through that. God, I want to thank you for all of your beautiful creation, and I worship you. But then humanity turned away from God. Same-sex attraction began to occur a long time ago. The Scriptures teach us in Romans 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, that's our culture, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. They begin to worship the things which are made. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul describes same-sex behavior as unnatural. There's a this is very difficult for some people to hear. Some argue that these verses forbid unnatural behavior, that it's unnatural for a heterosexual to engage in a homosexual practice, but they say it's natural for a homosexual to engage in homosexual behavior. However, this view cannot be supported by this text itself. That's not how Paul is using these words, natural and unnatural. The words do not describe our subjective experience or what feels natural to us. 
but instead it refers to God's purpose for us, and it's revealed in creation and then reiterated in Scripture. The what I'll call the sin lists in Paul's writings are not a complete list. They're examples, examples that show that we're all sinners, examples that show we're all in need of grace. This alternative vision to God's original design is the issue of our day. You cannot ignore it. There is some, this is just something we have to talk about. And for me, though, that really isn't the issue. For me, it's more my love and compassion and concern for friends who are feeling that they have to choose between Jesus and sexuality. It's all the people around me and my church and my neighborhood and my city, my family, my friends, my loved ones who are trying to figure out how to reconcile the call of Jesus and their pull towards same-sex attraction. And for me, this isn't about politics. It's about people, people that I love and people that I care about. We will be a place here at Brave Church for those that are working at reconciling the tension of the same-sex attraction and a sincere desire to follow Jesus and experience what he has for them, which is partially why I want to apologize. If you're gay, I want you to know there's no official voice for the church. And and if there was, it wouldn't be me. But I know that I can speak for millions of Jesus followers when I say we're so sorry for the way that we've treated people who are gay. It's been very unloving. And in our quest to hold on to God's vision for marriage and sexuality, we've lost grip of God's heart. And we became the very thing that Jesus actually stood against, mean, religious, and sometimes vicious people. Horrible things get said in person and on Facebook and on blogs, things that people would rarely actually say to another person, to another human being, and yet they go off in anger and vent in these different social media settings. We've been blinded by our own hypocrisy. Our theology must not lack love or it's not God's theology. It's not a true understanding of God. We can show compassion and kindness without compromising our convictions. And neither should we fixate on homosexuality as the particular sin that matters the most for whatever reason. When we elevate homosexuality above all the other sins, we're just behaving like Pharisees. In Matthew 23, verse 4, Jesus said, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Jesus indicts the harsh, crushing attitude of being right without grace. You see, religion always guards the truth and dispenses judgment. And our heart in following Jesus is to be like Jesus. The scripture says that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. He's not like half grace, half truth, quarter grace, quarter truth. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. Theology is the study of God. Who is God? God is love. 1 Corinthians 13, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. 
I must not allow my emotion or experience to determine my theology. I must not allow my theology to lack love. What if there's a third way? Can we walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye? There's a myth uh, going around the LGBT community that the church isn't safe. And I understand that. And we have to work hard in our community, in our church, to debunk the idea that the church is not a safe place for people who are gay. This is just not true. I'm fourth generation raised in the church, and I know a lot of followers of Jesus from all over the world and all different ethnic groups who are over-the-top, warm, loving, accepting, and caring people. You just won't see them in the media. You won't see them in a news interview. And so we will continue to be a place here where everyone is welcome, wherever you are, whatever kind of surgery you've had, you're going to be loved here. And there will be a growing number of people who are gay in our church. By gay, I mean they're attracted to the same sex, but are fighting to stay pure and live the way Jesus did. As far as I can tell, we all have one common denominator. We're all screwed up. Every one of us. And we're all being put back together in Jesus. So we're going to continue to be a place where you can belong before you believe and where God's transformation process can happen in our lives. Whatever my orientation, this is a place to find love and grace and help. Number four, desire does not determine behavior. Sexual desire, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, is not a sin. But all sexual behavior remains a choice. Orientation is a given for all of us. We all have a sexual orientation. Isn't that true? Behaviors are the choices we make. Every Jesus follower will be deprived of some perceived fulfillment as a result of obedience to God's will in your life. Understanding my orientation helps me identify my temptation. My orientation is not the sum of my identity. A growing myth among both gay and straight people is that you have to follow your sexual desires in order to live free. The idea being that anything that curbs our sexual desires is seen as oppressive. To deny your feelings, your desires, your urges is seen as denying who you are as a person. I get it. Homosexuality is way more than a desire for sex. It's a desire for friendship and intimacy and family and children and to grow old with someone in a committed relationship. These are not bad desires. They're human desires. And it feels so cruel to say that if you're gay, you can't act on them. But follow that logic all the way through. I'm a married man with two sons. What if I were to fall out of love? This is hypothetical. What if I were to fall out of love with my wife? After all, we we married really young. We're very, very different. We've had to work hard to keep our marriage healthy. And in addition to that, we have a disease to contend with in our marriage of which 80% of all marriages end in divorce when battling with this. What What if it just gets to the place where it's just like too much for me? And what if around that same time I fall in love with another woman? And what if these desires and urges for another woman are very natural and very real to me and very authentic? What should I do? Should I give in to them or deny them? 
even in our culture that we live in, I think most people would say, I should not act on those feelings no matter how real they are to me, that I should stay faithful to my wife and to my family. I should keep the vows that I've made for many years, and I should wrestle and struggle and fight the temptations, and I should do everything I can to keep my marriage in a healthy place. And they would be right. If you have to follow every sexual desire in order to find your freedom and fulfillment, then what does that say about you? And what kind of person might you become if you believe that? Jesus never married or had sex, not with a woman or a man. He was single. He was celibate his entire life. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but he was God. The scripture teaches he was fully God, but he was also fully human. He came in flesh as a human being. And the writer of Hebrews says this, Jesus was tempted in every way. That means in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. When Jesus saw a beautiful woman or a man pass by, he was just as tempted to lust as the next person. But unlike you and I, he never did, not once. Jesus was anything but oppressed. He was the freest human being to ever live. Freedom is not fulfilling every urge or desire that you have. If I gave in to my urge for Dreyer's chocolate chip ice cream every single night, I would eventually be gripped by a bondage of obesity. This week, I have had so much Dreyer's chocolate chip ice cream. It's been amazing. If I keep giving into that desire and feeding it because it's so natural for me, which it is, it will eventually have a hold on me. Our wants are not the same thing as our needs. We do not have to follow our desires to live a fully human life. We just have to learn what it means to follow Jesus. The Bible does not condemn sexual orientation. It does condemn any sexual behavior outside of God's natural order. There's a growing myth in the church made up of good, sincere people who do not want to give up their faith in Jesus to be gay. And so faced with seemingly two options, Jesus or homosexuality, they're searching for an option C. But in doing so, they're reinterpreting the scriptures to line up with culture. Some people argue that the Bible's teaching on sexuality was cultural. You know, just like back then, they used head coverings or they greeted one another with a holy kiss. It was written a long time ago, and we've evolved to, to a much more progressive place in our society. The problem is, is that homosexuality was very much a part of the culture in the early church in the first century. It's not a new thing at all. And contrary to what you may hear all the time, gay marriage is not a new idea. And if you think it is, study Rome at the time of the early church. Others argue that whatever the Bible is talking about, that it's not the same thing as homosexuality in today's world. They argue that as long as a couple uh, is faithful to each other for life, uh, gender doesn't matter. The problem is, is that even if you could reinterpret all nine or ten passages in the Scriptures on homosexuality, and I don't think that you can, you are still left with an overarching narrative of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation that holds up God's vision of marriage between a man and a woman. 
Please don't take my word for it. Read the Bible from cover to cover. Study those scriptures and passages and do your homework. I've been studying this subject for over a year, revisiting. Even after 35 years of pastoring, I've, I've read six different books from all different vantage points and viewpoints, listened to all kinds of things, and studied for this moment today. My last point is this, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. My last point is this. At the core of following Jesus is surrender. 1 Corinthians 6 says, You're not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The surrender of my desires and preferences to the desires and preferences of God is one of the foundational truths of Christianity. Let let me say that again because it's really important. It's being lost in our culture and those that are following Jesus. It's not about all of your desires in life being fulfilled. In following Jesus, it's about learning what his preferences and his will is and bringing my desires into the lane and guidance that he gives my life. That's foundational to what it means to follow Jesus, that I don't get my whole way. Jesus said it best. He said in Matthew 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. I don't know what your cross is. It may be over the issue of same-sex attraction. I don't know what that is for you. He says, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Jesus' words speak to everyone that fulfillment and hope look like surrender. He's not asking us to deny our own happiness. He's saying the path to all that you and I seek is surrender in the deepest parts of who we are. One day, you won't be in this tent. You won't be in this human flesh any longer. Sometimes when the message of Jesus is presented, it sounds something like, come to Jesus and he'll fix everything in you. As if all of your problems and issues will go away the second that you say yes to Jesus. Following Jesus is anything but easy. That's why it's so brave. In our culture, our culture has oversold what romance and sex and even marriage can deliver. The church has sent out mixed messages of what it means to be blessed. I believe the blessing of God is anything and everything that conforms me into the image of God. And this has nothing to do with sexual orientation or my material possessions. The abundant life that Jesus spoke of was a life that considers loss as gain, taking up your cross as part of following him. The abundant life is a vision that you're walking with Jesus into the journey of the purpose that he has for you, and you're looking forward, and I'm looking forward to a glorious wedding celebration in heaven one day where there is no male or female. Sexual orientation is not the end game. God is calling all men and women to a life of abundant purpose. And the only limit to abundance is limited surrender. Entrance into the kingdom of God makes the impossible possible now as a human being. And you may find as you follow Jesus that your desires and what matters most to you changes over time. It's a journey and it's a process. 
And this is why we all need a safe community to grow and to learn in and to have conversations in. You may never get married. You may live uh, single for a time and then become single again later. You, you don't know. This just, this just isn't about sexual preference. We're all fighting something, suppressing something, whether the temptation is for abuse of alcohol or pornography or gossip or worry for many decades now. We all struggle. We all suffer in our humanity in different ways. But we can make it through this. We can live a rich and meaningful life. We may struggle, whatever that is, but we can struggle well. What we all want is on that day when Jesus returns and we go to be with him, we want to hear those words that say, well done, you're good, you were faithful, you're my servant, enter into all my joy. My grace is sufficient for all of your struggles because we all have learned what it means to surrender, to be obedient, not to our culture, but to our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to be a brave people that follow you. We want to be a loving, accepting community of people, Lord Jesus. God, that's easier for some of us than others. Let's just be honest. But we want to be that, God. We want to be the safe person that can have a conversation with someone who is struggling with same-sex attraction or homosexuality, or as a heterosexual, their temptations for lust in so many different areas of our lives. God, we want to be a people that are filled with humility and not judgment. Thank you, God, that we can leave the judgment up to God who knows all and sees all. And thank you, God, that you've called us to love everyone and to love each other well. God, we want to surrender the things that we're struggling with in different areas of our lives here today. We want to be reminded that this walk is about surrender. In Jesus' name.
Yeah. 